At this point in my life, I'm kind of looking forward to a new adventure. I'm not mourning the fact that I have to give up my house, which I love. I had it for almost 18 years, and by the time I leave, it'll be almost 19 years. Okay, that's enough, and uh, I'm ready for a new step. Hi, everyone. This is the AgeWise Podcast. Your assumptions are going to be turned somewhat upside down. When we talk about aging well... It's an issue that nobody wants to talk about. And wisely. I was totally unfamiliar with the term caregiver. You really learn what you're capable of. I'm Jana Panaritis. A couple of months ago, we spoke with Dr. Maxime Borowski-Young, who, along with Dr. Myra Levick, co-wrote the book, Dear Myra, Dear Max, A Conversation About Aging. In our interview, Max shared her story of growing up in Los Angeles during the Hollywood Blacklist era, and she talked about her decision to leave LA after a decades-long teaching career at Loyola Marymount University, in addition to leaving her private psychotherapy practice in LA. If you missed that episode, go to the AgeWise website and give it a listen. You won't be disappointed. It's episode number 137. Max left LA 17 years ago and moved to Whidbey Island in the state of Washington, where she now lives alone in her house with her dog, and she continues to write, teach, and produce art. Now 80 years old, she's still fit and mentally sharp, but lately she's been thinking more about the cost of continuing to live alone as she creeps into her senior, senior years. It's not cheap to live alone as you age, especially in a remote location like Whidbey Island. To that end, Max recently traveled east and, along with her two grown children, explored her future options for living by visiting a few communities she'd researched in advance. I was curious to know what she turned up in her travels, so Max is back today to tell us about her trip. Maxine Borowski-Young joins us again from her home on Whidbey Island in Washington. Max, welcome back to the AgeWise podcast. Thank you, my dear. In your previous interview, you said that on Whidbey Island, you had a sort of introverted life and you managed to stay out of most everything, which is your preference. I love how you phrase that. But at some point in the not too distant future, as we both know, that way of life will change. So what I'd mm-hmm. love to do maybe is you could maybe tell us a little bit about your pre-travel planning, especially with respect to the research you did and the criteria that you had for your future living community. I think those things are really important to do. And the first thing in terms of criteria is, what do you want at this point in your life? And for me, a major thing was having people to talk to. And that's really important. Maybe it won't be in five years, but it is right Uh now. I'm moving in a year, for uh, for sure. I'm not entirely sure where or how, but I cannot afford to live in my house anymore, that's for sure. And by the way, I think that has something to do with being a divorced woman and having my own money or lack of it and not being able to count on anybody else to support a single life. You refer to Uh, that as the feminization of poverty. Yeah, that's right. I think that's really true is one of the things I've observed. Anyway, Mm -hmm. getting back to research and priorities. I did a lot of research on the internet first, and I also did a lot of conscious making of relationships in places I was interested in. And the senior community format 
which, as you know, you pay whatever you pay, and they're only seniors, Mm -hmm. so-called. And we could argue about that term and all those terms, but we're not going to do that. I'm not. Uh And they have activities, and they usually talk about how wonderful the food is and stuff like that. But it's a kind of format where you pay your money, and then you partake of whatever they've got, and you Uh live there. That format. Uh So there were a couple of those places. I was looking in the Hudson River Valley pretty much, which is where my son lives. Mm -hmm. And I thought it would be nice to be near him, and he said it would be nice. And also, I think it's quite beautiful up Mm -hmm. there. I would need something beautiful. I did look at other places just around while I was doing this, and there are a lot of them, as you know. But I sort of centered on that. But in each place I was interested in, I, as I said before, I worked hard to make a relationship or maybe a couple. And I did that in a few ways. First of all, you write, obviously, and say, send me information, and they do. But the person in the senior communities who's writing you is usually a big salesperson because they naturally want to sell the place. And I I suspect They're paid on commission. I don't know how that works, but I bet they are. At least some of them are. So in a way, your interaction with the point person is, I think, important, both from your point of view and from their point of view. I can read a lot in terms of how they respond. For example, there was one place not in the Hudson River Valley that I asked for information from. And the email that came back was so badly done and the spelling was so bad that I thought, well, that's not so good. I mean, clearly, whoever they had in terms of the point person who was answering the emails and giving information and stuff was not the brightest one in the world. And that has meaning to me. It may not be everything, but it has meaning to me. So I noticed right from the beginning how we did that way. And then one place that I looked into looked very interesting, but I also thought that the way they handled me was very interesting and the way they handled their publicity, which is they sent out the whole packet, the shiny packet, you know, that shows everything, right, and Mm -hmm. says everything that's obviously done by a professional. But they also sent out a book that was done by one of their, excuse me if I call them inmates, but one of the (laughs) people living there, who had written a book about his search for a place. And it was very interesting and useful, both in terms of its information and how to look for places and how he did. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. also, I thought it was really smart to send out something like that for publicity. It sounds Um, like it. Yeah. So I figured I had a fairly smart place from the beginning, Mm -hmm. at least in the people that I had connected with. Mm -hmm. Now, I knew this guy who wrote the book was still living there, so I contacted him and actually sent him my book, the Dear Myra, Dear Max book, Mm -hmm. and really started having an email conversation with him and also with some of the others. Mm -hmm. So that when I went there, and I did this in other places too, and when I went there, I was really greeted as if I were an old friend. Now, I know that a lot of that is salesmanship, but that's all right. That's Mm -hmm. all right for me. I'd rather have it that way. The other side, though, as I said, is what is your priority at the time? What are you wanting? And I think that's really important. And I'm wanting people I can talk to, 
right now. Uh-huh. And I found that quite different. And I looked at three different places. And in the place I just described where they sent out the book, there were lots of interesting people to talk to. Now, I'm sure they're adults, you know, dullards or stupid people. There always are. Was this one of the places that was more of a traditional senior community? Yes, it was. Okay. It was. I mean, it was quite traditional, but it was also quite new. Okay. And one of the questions I asked a lot was, what do you do when people run out of money? And two of the places, two out of the three of the places I talked to said, oh, we, you know, we might move them into a smaller apartment, but we keep them and so on. The other thing I really wondered about generally was how they treat loss. I know I'm different this way. A lot of people don't care about these things. How they treat loss Mm -hmm. and how they treat dying and death. Because in these places, people do die and they do you know, they do die, and they get sick, and stuff like that. It's part of the deal at this age. And most places, well, one place kicks you out when you don't have any money anyway. Wow. I'm sure they'd put you into Medicare, or um, a Medicaid place, something. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's some transitional thing there, but they definitely kick you out. And interestingly enough, that was the place that was both financially the easiest and also they had really gorgeous cottages, Hmm. much more space than I would need. But that was also the place where in the very ornate dining room where we had lunch, there were about 30 people there that day and nobody talked to each other. And I thought that was not a good sign. (laughs) (laughs) Not for me, anyway. My son knows somebody there who's on the inside, as it were, and I was told that in that county there are a lot of people who are kind of like that. The artists at the place are not like that, and I did ask the question about how many artists are there, but I never heard back. Mm -hmm. But in that place, interestingly enough, the art room was clearly really used all the time. I mean, it was very much a studio in process. Even in the good place that I saw at first, where they had sent me the book, they had an art room, but the art room didn't look like it was much used. Mm -hmm. So those things were important to me, but particularly about um, who to talk to and whether there was a kind of liveliness and energy in the place. And at uh, the one place I looked that is the different model, the intergenerational model, and it's really a no-frills place. Mm-hmm. Everybody is supposed to do everything themselves as long as they can and work there in the various places they have. But I talked to a lot of 90-year-olds who were very much with it and very bright, and maybe they have others too, but I, that's what I saw. Uh-huh. This is the, sort of the commune-type setting. Yeah, the commune kind of thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And would probably work better for me than the other. Everything costs, except I think the commune is a little cheaper, but everything costs, as you may know, it really does, however they play it, mm-hmm. around 50000 a year. 
Uh-huh. And some of them want a big buy-in, and some of them want monthly this and that, mm-hmm. and some of them don't care about the buy-in, and you just pay monthly a fee that includes the food and rental of your place and so on. But do they all have care plans? And two of the three are in a format that would probably include a level of care or some kind of a care piece, whereas the commune sounds like a little more... No, the I'm commune sure. actually, because it is for that, I mean, that's what its mission is, to take care of so-called elders. It's really got that in order, and they do pay a lot of attention to dying and death, and they even, you can get buried on that property if wow, you want. that's interesting. You, you hmm. can't have a headstone, but and I was shown that, and wow. how people do that. People live there for 20, 30 years, you uh-huh. know. I don't know what happens in the other place except the one that kicks you out, but I suspect they, at best, as in Myra Levick's place, they may put a candle up when somebody dies. Right, and a picture on a piano. Maybe, but I I don't think they really deal with it. I suspect they hide it. I wasn't Mm -hmm. told that. I don't know, but certainly that's not something that they want to talk about in the general kind of thing. Yeah, I know, and that's important to you, and it would be to me, too, for sure. It it is important to me. It's not important so much to everybody, and it's certainly not in the culture. So did you fly east alone, or did you fly with your daughter, who lives in California? No, I flew east alone. You you flew east alone, and I know that your kids were involved in this. You're adult children. and So at what point did they meet up with you? And I'd love to know more about their experience of this. Okay, I flew into White Plains, New York, and interestingly enough, you know, it's always you get there about 10.30 at night. That's how it goes. Uh-huh. Take about three planes and bleh, right. it's awful. And Benjamin, my son, met me, mm-hmm. and he did not have at his house when he left power oh, because no. there had been a big storm, and he had written on his, I don't know what, his Facebook or something, I don't know if I'm going to have power and I can't blow up the air mattress for my mother. (laughs) And and a lot of his friends said, your mother can stay on my couch. It was very sweet. (laughs) So by the time uh, he picked me up, the power had gone on in Beacon, but it was not on in a lot of other places. And the day before this, there had been an actual tornado, a real tornado in upstate New York. So uh, we the, we drove through these little towns with all these huge trees down. I mean, really big, solid trees mm-hmm. that had come from the storm. But I didn't see any of that. I don't even think it rained while I was there. By that time, I guess it was all over. So I stayed with Ben, and he could blow up the air mattress, <laughs> which was good when we got home, which is what I've always slept on there. I've, I used to sleep on the leaky air mattress. So, you know, by the time you, the next morning, you would be down on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) But this is a better one, so I don't think it's leaking anyway. So I got there on a, I think it was a Wednesday, and Alexa came in. She was working in New York, and she came in on like that Friday or maybe the Thursday and went with us to most of the places. In fact, I think she was there for all of them. And Ben asked a lot of questions, Uh and Alexa didn't. He asked a lot of the questions I would have asked, but I didn't have to because he asked them. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did that bother you? And Did you feel managed? 
No, I thought it was good. I, we yeah. hadn't arranged that, but I thought it was a good way to handle it. Good. I know that you you have an issue with feeling managed at times by your kids, but in this case, yes, it was probably but, a relief but, of sorts. No, it, it was very nice, and, and he knew the right questions to ask. Mm-hmm. They might have been, as I say, the same questions I would ask, but I didn't have to. He also gave me financial information along the way, like, Mm -hmm. at the first place, you could afford this, strangely enough. Uh Of course, you couldn't go anywhere else, ever, (laughs) (laughs) but you could afford this, and that was a surprise to both of us. Theoretically, if I'm selling my house for a certain amount and so Mm -hmm, on and so mm -hmm. on, that's it's all a little iffy, but based on that kind of thing. Mm So I thought it was very, very useful to see them because they all sound the same. If Maybe they all have the same PR persons. I don't know. <laughs> and interestingly enough, the New York ones, which is what I was first looking at, you know, they didn't inundate you with stuff or phone calls or things like that. My daughter suggested I look in Connecticut, which I discovered is quite close to New York. I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) So I started looking around in Connecticut, and I immediately got, even though I said I didn't want phone calls, I immediately got about 65 phone calls. Oh, my Lord. And one at 8 o'clock in the morning, and because they hadn't figured out the difference in time or even thought about it. Oh, my gosh. And uh, I really hated that so much, it turned me off. When I say I don't want phone calls, I mean it. Well, they Please. want sales. sales. Of course they do. I understand that. And so, they can't, they sent out all these things that are absolutely alike. Yeah. You really can't tell unless you see it. Physically. Although visit. The, uh-huh. Yeah. you uh-huh. got to visit because they, first of all, some of them are for the rich and some of them aren't. And that may make a difference in what you want in uh-huh. terms of intellectual stimulation. Maybe so, it won't. So, right. So what sort of input did Alexa have and what were some of her comments? Well, she tended to let me and Ben be the lead people. And then we talked about them afterwards. I see. And she said, uh, like about the place that was best money and best looking cottages, she said, I can't see you in that place. I think you would feel isolated. And luckily, I felt the same way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought, I didn't think I could stand it. And I was surprised because I had really liked it on paper. But when I got there, just the um, small town, I don't mind small towns. But it was a very small town, and the cottages were quite isolated from the main building, you know. And Mm -hmm. my kids were both worried, and they still are, about me in the snow. I'm not worried about that. I'm more worried about the summer. But all these places have, you know, individual heat and air conditioning and stuff like that. So they're used to it. But both my kids don't think I can live through snow. (laughs) I never have. It's it's not like you're going to be out shoveling the driveway. What are their concerns? That you're going to be physically too cold? That it's going to be such a shock to your system that you won't be able to handle it? The Pacific Northwest is not exactly hot all the time. No, no, no. I think Ben, who lives in Beacon, up the Hudson River Valley, Mm -hmm. I think he really loves warm weather. Always has. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's happier when he can put on shorts and flip-flops. 
so I think living there has been a hard thing for him. He's always saying to me, you know, it's not spring yet, and we're still having snowstorms, yeah. and things like that. I don't feel that way about weather. I like weather, but... Did any of these places ask you, what do you want? No. None of them? No. On the other hand, I must admit, I don't think I gave him a chance to do that. What do you mean by that? Well, because I was asking so many questions, and Ben was, and so on. But But they definitely did not think to do that. I don't remember it anyway. It was so important to Myra Levick. Your um, co-author, right, we should say. My co-author for the book, Dear Myra, Dear Max. It was so important to her that of all the places she looked at in Florida, only one ever asked her what she wanted, and that's the one she chose. Yeah. I don't remember it being that big a thing. Mm -hmm. So when did you fly back? Well, let's see. Uh, We saw three places. We were going to see four, but by that time I had gotten tired and I figured I didn't like it anyway. Mm -hmm. So we canceled the fourth. And I was there altogether about five, six days. So how do you think that your kids and you felt at the end of it about the experience? Well, Alexis said she was glad that she saw some places that she thought I could stand and it would I would be all right in, and that she had had a, and even cried about a, a vision of me with lots of old people out of it in um, wheelchairs and oh, so on and yeah. so on, and and that was her vision, a senior community, and these places, none of them actually were like that. So she was very relieved, and Ben has acted more like my financial advisor, which I could use. And, um, you know, talks things over with me. But all of us felt that of the three we saw, two were possible, leave money out of it. So I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, I think so, too. So what happens next for you? Next is I have a book I'm trying to finish. I've got to do that. I could not move in the middle of it. And Mm -hmm. then I'm going to go through everything pack up and plan to put the house on the market next spring. I have a realtor. I think I have enough money to get there that long. If I have to, I'll borrow it to Uh do that. And actually, at this point in my life, I'm kind of looking forward to a new adventure. I mean, I'm kind of ready to do this. I'm not mourning the fact that I have to give up my house, which I love. I had it for almost 18 years, and by the time I leave, it'll be almost 19 years or maybe around in there. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's enough, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm ready for a new step. Did you actually select a place yet? And if so, do you have to be put on a waiting list of any kind? The first place I talked about that sent the book has a waiting list and also of huge financial, and I don't know what I mean by huge because I haven't done it, but everybody talks about a huge financial assessment. Like a buy-in type thing? Yeah, they have a buy-in and they also have independent living, assisted living, and skilled nursing all available right there. It sounds like a continuing care retirement community. Yes. Yeah, because those always have buy-ins. Right. And the second place I went to, the one that I felt I'd feel too isolated in, she told me that a lot of people can't qualify financially for the first place, so they send them to her. Uh, Interesting. (laughs) That's the one where nobody spoke in the dining room. (laughs) 
And the third one, I mean, I've had this long, ongoing relationship with a lot of people there, and what they send out is anything but shiny, I'll tell you. That's the commune place. The commune place. We use that term loosely, just for identification yes. purposes here. But I especially like that, and I like, I mean, I've had this long and sort of intimate conversation, email conversation with a person. I've never met her. She wasn't there the day I visited. It was a Sunday, and she was off doing whatever, so I really have no idea what age she is or anything else, but I'll look forward to meeting her. So have I met a lot of other people. Right. Did you select a place? Sounds like you've narrowed it down to two. I think that would be the place. The commune place. Yes. Now, whether in a year they will have a place for me that I could tolerate, I don't know. Uh I mean, they don't have frilly apartments and stuff. They have an independent living set up, but okay. they, she showed me pictures of the apartments that they have now. I'm unclear about how many they have even. Uh-huh. But it's until somebody moves from independent living into assisted living, which is a different building, they don't have apartments or anything. So she showed me pictures of one rumors single apartments, Mm -hmm. I guess, Mm -hmm. that were really, I mean, and I don't think of myself as needing space, Mm -hmm. but they were too small for me. And maybe Easterners can live in closets, you know, and (laughs) Westerners can't. I don't know. But so in a year, we'll see what's available. I will go there if something is available that I could tolerate. Uh, And by the way, I don't plan to take any furniture or anything else. I've intentionally not collected stuff that I want to keep very much. Uh I have books, art, and folk art which I'll probably have to get rid of in some way or another. But the furniture, there isn't anything much here that I would keep hold of. It's been comfortable and pleasurable, but I'm ready to sort of let go of most of it. Mm-hmm. So I have a big garage sale. Mm-hmm. I'll say. So when you, got back to your, <laughs> when you got back to your house on Whidbey Island, did you see the house differently? Uh, no. Did you see the space I, differently? Did you feel differently? Because that was the first time that you had that kind of experience going... Yes. Yeah, right? So I just wondered if you felt differently about your home when you got back home. I didn't feel differently about my home when Mm. I got back home. Mm. I liked it. I still like it. I didn't feel differently. I did have about a couple of weeks later, and I did kind of have a, oh my God, what should I do kind of feeling. Hmm. And I called up my son and my daughter, who was then in Australia, Uh and Ben talked to me a lot, which was very, very helpful. And he said, listen, I think with that amount of money, you could get an apartment in Beacon for a year, almost anything you wanted, and have a fine time. I said, I don't drive at night. He said, you wouldn't have to drive at night. We'd get you something next door to the Chinese restaurant or something. (laughs) So anyway, that calmed me down enough, Mm. like if I couldn't get into the commune in a year mm-hmm. when I get ready. Mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe maybe in a year next spring I'll uh, you know do something else. Mm-hmm. So at this point that seems to be okay. Uh huh. Was that like I a... may get panicky about y- yeah, it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, you know, as you've written, being older also brings up the necessity for human change, which is difficult at best at any age. And that really is depends on your personality, but it gets harder, I think. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. big, sh- it's a big shift. It's a huge shift in your life. Yes, but obviously, at my age, I can't make long-term plans, and I've never much done that. I've sort of lived a very stable life mm-hmm. and a rather traditional life, 
But every step of the way, I would be asking myself, was this what I wanted? Uh And I think that is unusual. Uh And I had enough of a stable life that the decisions I make look like they're made very fast. They're really not at all. They're made with a lot of consideration. And then I say, okay, what am I going to do? And I make a decision. But they're not impulsive decisions at all. Yeah, which is so interesting because your idea of yourself is probably different than the idea that others have of you. Because it looks like you're making that decision impulsively, but you're really not. I mean, That's right. And so other people think maybe you're impulsive. <laughs> That's right. When I came up here, I moved up from L.A. to Whidbey Island. People thought I was very brave to do that. Mm. Actually, I didn't see myself particularly as brave. That's how I am. And I had enough stability in my early life, thankfully, that when I do stuff like that, it's not being brave. It's who I am. For somebody else, it might have been brave. Somebody told me, oh, you know, to leave all your friends and all your stuff and all the rest of it and make a move like that, it's really a brave thing to do. And it wasn't for me. Uh huh. I think there's a fine line between bravery and desperation. (laughs) A lot of times when I've made what others have considered brave decisions in my life, I have felt I was just at a a moment of utter desperation where something had to crack. And so I just Uh made a choice wasn't necessarily the best choice right away, but in many cases, it turned out to be the best choice for the long term. Um, well, but and I think nobody really knows what the best choice is anyway. Uh, yeah, uh, that's sort point. of my philosophy. Uh-huh. And when I came up here, I felt like if I didn't like it, I would go around and see where else I wanted to live. I knew I didn't want to live in LA, and I actually had looked at There are three islands off of Seattle before you get to the San Juans, Mm -hmm. Vashon, Bainbridge, Mm -hmm. and Whidbey. Mm -hmm. And I looked at them all, and I liked Whidbey a lot. And that was enough for me. I also liked that it had a uh, an arts community, so-called. I figured it would be less redneck than other places. Uh-huh. That went into my thinking about it. Uh, uh-huh. turned out not necessarily to be true, but <laughs> it was part of it. So I still have confidence that, well, first of all, I have confidence that I can make almost anything work. Secondly, if I hated it, I would get out, assuming I had some money. That's sort of who I am, and I think that will continue to be who I am. And I don't know what I would hate exactly. I might like something better than something else. Well, that commune setup might get a little dicey for you in the winter. I can see You're worried about that. that. That's the only situation where I can maybe see the weather and those harsh winters being a factor. I think from what you've told me about the other two places, you might be better insulated. Oh, yeah, I think you would be. I think you would be better insulated generally in <laughs> in both the metaphorical sense. But I kind of like the other because of that. It speaks to your pioneering spirit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a question for you. What we've been talking about is usually discussed by adult children who are worried, or some would say burdened, by their aging parents. So as the aging parent, so to speak, in this scenario... I wonder what advice you would give the adult children of older parents who might be listening to this. I have written in the Dear Myra, Dear Max book, and it becomes more in the forefront all the time, about how kids with all the best intentions cannot really understand an older person because they haven't been there yet. They just don't get it. 
I saw a movie this week called uh, Book Club with lots of older actresses and actors. I was mm-hmm. glad they got employed. And it was, by the way, written by a man, can you believe? And one of the storylines was about some kids that want their mother to come and join them. She's too old and all the rest of that. To live with them? Yeah, to, well, to live with them and live in their town. And I, I think it was Tucson or Arizona somewhere. Mm-hmm. And clearly she has her own life. She's played by Diane Keaton, and you can imagine. Mm -hmm. She has her own life and wishes and wants, and part of the story is how she finally says enough already. So I think it's very individual. There are certainly older parents, women in particular, who want all the help and want to sort of turn over the decision-making to their kids. And there are older parents who don't. And I think, if possible, the kids should recognize the individuality of it and try and go with what the parent wants. I mean, I'm talking about a non-demented parent. I'm suspecting that if you get to that point, you don't care a whole lot. You want caretaking. But as uh, Atul Gawande said in his book, which I liked a lot, The book, we should say, is Being Mortal. Right. He said kids are sending their elders, their elder parents, off to senior communities so that they will get taken care of. And they're very worried about the taking care of part. And that's a nice thing. We don't have much in the way of you should come live with me, although we have some of that these days, but not as it used to be, Mm -hmm. you know, grandma in the back room kind of stuff. So sometimes grown kids want to do the best they can for their parents, and it may be a good thing and it may not be. Mm-hmm. You know, I do not travel much. Mm-hmm. I've never liked traveling. I've been places, but I don't want to go back. My son, for example, is a world traveler. He really is, and uh, he's now down in Brazil again, and uh-huh. he will be coming back and living in D.C. for a while. and. It occurred to me this week that he probably likes that sort of life. Uh-huh. I would hate that, certainly at this age. And all the planes that I took to get back to see him all went well. I uh-huh. didn't have any troubles. They didn't cancel anything. There uh-huh. wasn't any of that. Uh-huh. And I always get home and say, I'm never getting on an airplane again. <laughs> and I don't have any urge to go travel some of the places I loved in my earlier years, and I wasn't a world traveler then, but I saw a lot. Mm-hmm. I have in my head, and I don't want to see them full of tourists. It's interesting. Did you get any strange looks on your flight? Did anyone t- treat you like an older person? And what is that No, like? they don't treat me like an older person. If they say anything at all, and I always get it going through TSA, they say, why haven't you taken off your shoes? And I say, because I'm 81. Oh, they you're say, 81 now. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought you were 60-something at the most, which I'm not. And that's, that's ageism. Yeah, that's right ageism. There. <laughs> so when did so you turn I 81? Can, I'll turn 81 in August. Oh, actually. okay. So you're still 80. Okay. Yes, I'm still Yeah, 80. you're right. It is ageism. And it's people, I think, are well-meaning when they say it, but they don't really realize oh, absolutely. How, how, how it sounds. But, but it has to do with our youth-oriented culture. Yeah. And also the other things like... How young are you? And if I can sit on my mouth, I don't say you ageist you. <laughs> uh, but really, it's supposed to be a compliment, right. all those things. Right. Oh, you don't look that old. What do you think that old looks like these days? Looks like me.
so we're in a wait and see pattern now with you. I'm well, in me a, too. I'm in, and so are you. <laughs> I will be interested and curious to find out too. We've been speaking with Dr. Maxine Borowski-Young. She's the co-author of the book, Dear Myra, Dear Max, A Conversation About Aging, which you can learn more about by visiting the episode page for today's show on the AgeWise Podcast website. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z, or Z, as my Canadian mother says. Uh, Max, thanks so much for coming back on the show, and I look forward to more updates. I look forward to more updates, too. Bye, Max. All right, good to talk to you. You too. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. If you like this show, please tell your friends and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. The AgeWise podcast is produced by me, and it's distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk radio network. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours. <laughs>